As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Phillies Talk podcast presented by Team Toyota. He's Jim Salisbury. I'm Corey Seidman, and this could end up being a pretty important week for Major League Baseball. Uh, a return to play proposal has been submitted by the owners. Uh, it's now in the players' hands, really. Uh, and there's a lot to discuss here, Jim. Uh, there's the revenue split. There's the length of the season. There's the adjustments to the playoff format. Uh, let's start, though, with the, you know, the budding conflict, it seems, between the owners and the players. What do you make of this? I mean, it seems like the owners put out a tentative proposal uh, that paid the players through the end of May 4% of their salaries and then, you know, uh, prorated version. And now they're trying to adjust that and the players are taking issue. What do you make of all this? Uh, there's a lot to it. Basically, the dispute um, kind of at its root is over the, you know, they had that agreement back in March about when baseball returns, they would prorate the salaries, but there was also wording in there that said, you know, they could re-examine the agreement depending on how things shook out with the virus and the delay and whatnot. And, um, the players that are the union is saying, well, we had an agreement on prorated. The, uh, the uh, MLB commissioner's office is saying, well, we need, we had language in there that allowed us to, to re-examine the situation. So that is um, kind of the crux of the dispute. And from that um, is the, has grown this salary dispute. Um, MLB would like to do more than just prorate salaries. They would like to, um, because of the shutdown and the, and the uh, length of it and the lack of revenues, they would like to adjust salaries. Uh, um, reduce salaries and, and they would like the players to concede to that. And the players obviously are, or the union, I should say, um, is fighting that uh, because of the pro uh, proposed revenue split. It sounds like a salary cap. The union is always going to fight a salary cap. That is a toxic uh, expression in their minds. Um, you know, I've seen a lot of these disputes over the years and um, oftentimes early in these disputes, there's rancor, both sides dig in um, and eventually try to work toward the middle. Uh, obviously, they have work to do. Uh, and if there's ever a time where they need to um, dig in and, and, and not make money an issue, it's right now with people getting laid off, 15% unemployment, people dying, um, cities paralyzed by this virus. They need to put it aside and, 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 and not make money an issue. Uh, because uh, it looks bad and it could end up being bad. Um, they need to, you know, one of the things during the shutdown I've noticed is a real sense of community in people. They've banded together and come together and fighting this common enemy. And uh, 
the owners and the players need to do the same thing, come together and, and play baseball, figure out a way to split these um, revenues or, or however they want to do it, fairly compensate people in, in, um, in this climate of, of, uh, of adversity and move on and get something done if indeed they can play. Because to me, it's still the big challenge is the, the health of everyone. And uh, baseball needs to defer to the health experts and the governments about where this virus stands and if they can indeed play. Um, some, we don't even know if all these cities are going to be open. Uh, Toronto is going to be a problem. I, I would think New York's going to be a problem with that high mortality rate. Um, focus on the important things. Um, getting, you know, getting approval and, and, uh, from, the, from the health folks and the health experts and, and not money. Don't make this an issue. It's going to really look bad. And uh, it could be, you know, it, it's suicide. I don't know what they're thinking. You can't, you can't make money an issue. You've you got to figure this out. And uh, if possible, if it's possible to play ball, go play ball. Yeah, I mean, everybody in every form of society right now is compromising. And the owners are going to have to compromise. The players are going to have to compromise. Uh, nobody benefits if there's no season. Nobody benefits if they can't reach an agreement and players don't make any, any version of prorated money. So, I mean, does it – does this feel more like posturing or uh, like, is this, do you see this as an issue that could be worked out quickly? Uh, it's weird because there are all these ideas that are presented right now, yet there's, it seems to be growing pessimism from players. If you look at what some players are saying, this also pertains to the health issues that are not firmly in place yet uh, in regard to what happens if a player does test positive or a groundskeeper tests positive. Well, to answer your question, is it posturing? There's always posturing in these negotiations. That's why, uh, do they have to come up with an answer quickly? Yes. Yes, they need to get an answer and figure this thing out and how they're going to get back on the field. And coming up with an answer soon will be a good thing because deadline, set a deadline. Deadlines drive deals. You know, I remember covering these labor disputes and sitting outside the commissioner's office and the union on Park Ave in Manhattan. And, you know, these, these uh, disputes would go on for weeks. But, you know, the last uh, 10 hours would be a flurry of activity. Set deadline and, and, and try to figure something out but i do think there is some level of posturing i mean the union has come back pretty strong in some of their comments and to me that's not surprising the union was criticized um uh, in their you know in the last cba for some players i remember talking to pat nichek and he flat out said it was a bad cba they signed a bad deal and uh there's been a lot of folks um who've been critical of the last uh, deal that the union uh, agreed to. So it's not surprising to me that the union is digging in and digging in and trying to flex its might a little bit. Uh, but I think if both sides give a little bit, realizing this is an unusual circumstance and unusual times, and uh, I, I still think they can come up with, with a plan. I, I still think the majority of players I talk to, they're, they're, main concern is the health of their families themselves and all the people around the game. So if they can, you know, solve those matters, I, I think they need to figure out a way to solve the, um, the, the financial matters. And if they can, uh, you know, um, come up with reasonable assurances of people's health, I think, you know, you're going to have players and, and players wives saying, you know, okay, uh, you're not going to make 15 million this year, but maybe you can make seven or eight to play baseball. Get out there and play baseball. That's kind of what I'm. That's kind of what I'm banking on. That that you know, common sense is going to prevail, and everybody's going to get get back on the field. Because if you get back on the field for a shortened season, there is going to be a pot of gold at the end if you can stay on the season. The, the possibility of another shutdown is real uh, if this thing flares up again. But there could be a pot of gold, and that's called the postseason. 
very lucrative for, for both sides. Maybe you adjust uh, the take in the postseason and how that's split up to try to bridge some of these differences. Philly Stock is presented by Team Toyota, and Team Toyota is kicking off a new season with safety, savings, and service. Visit today at teamtoyota.net to be part of the team and stay on the road to victory. Yeah, I think that everybody has to be realistic, too, about what the, the, the flare-up that you just mentioned. I mean, July, early July, which has been the, you know, the proposed start date, you know, we're looking at about six, seven weeks away from that. Well, in South Korea, where the KBO started playing earlier this month, over the weekend, there was a report that bars and nightclubs in South Korea have now been closed for 30 days after health officials tracked 13 new cases to a single person who attended five nightclubs and bars in Seoul. So nightclubs and bars closed for 30 days. The reopening of schools in South Korea has been postponed by a week. And, you know, the KBO sees this, and there's some nerves there too. They, MLB sees this. I mean, if you look at throughout the, the, throughout the world, South Korea has done as good a job of mitigating coronavirus really as any country in the world. And even there, uh, this has the potential to open back up. And it seems like the worst case scenario for MLB would be putting a plan in place, starting a season, and then a week into it, having to shut down again. Oh, that would be very difficult. Um, uh, but like you said, it's a real possibility. And it's one of the, one of the items on everybody's mind. Uh, what if you start up and have to shut down again? I mean, that's why they, they are, um, you know, securing these buildings, uh, these stadiums is going to be so important, limiting personnel and, one of the things they're talking about now is essential personnel and in, in defining essential personnel. Um, you know, who, you know, are they going to have full coaching staffs, full training staffs? Um, you know, who's allowed in the clubhouse? Who's not? Will media be present? I think there's a very real chance that um, uh, the, the media coverage will be limited in person uh, to maybe, maybe just television production folks so they can get these games on TV. So yeah, uh, just, Still a lot of questions, but they need to get the financial matter settled. They need to get the playing rules settled because if you get the okay from the health experts, you need to mobilize and start training so you can get back on the field. And uh, if you have to shut down again, you got to deal with it. But you can't shut down again until you start up again. So you got to start moving toward that, and I think you need to do it expeditiously. Well, something that's been shut down is the final 30 or so rounds of the 2020 MLB draft, which will reportedly be five rounds. And then after the fifth round, the maximum that a team can sign an undrafted free agent for is $20,000. How do you think this is going to affect everybody who would have been drafted after the fifth round? It's tough for like, if this was a, if this was the NFL or if this was the NBA where a team could say, Hey, you have the opportunity to start year one. Well, that doesn't exist in baseball. Everybody has to climb the ladder pretty much. So offering that opportunity isn't as straightforward as it might be in other sports for, you know, a player to decide I'm going to pick your team. Um, A lot of good players every year drafted after the fifth round. How do you see this working out? Well, I think those players are still going to get an opportunity. The ones that would have been drafted in the fifth round or later, sixth round or later. Um, just because scouting has become really sophisticated with the numbers of uh, scouts, the guys who go out there and watch games and, and evaluate players. And you also have the analytics and video element of scouting. So I think teams know where these players are and know how to find them and identify them. So I do think if you're good enough, you're still going to get the opportunity. Uh, long range, you know, to me, it looks like a cost-cutting measure. Um, and baseball uh, has been considering cost-cutting measures now. 
um, you know, for a while. We heard uh, all winter long about the possibility of contracting the minor leagues. There was significant pushback against that. You know, when I say contracting the minor leagues, I mean eliminating a couple lower rungs, maybe maybe a team in everybody's system. And, you know, that could hit hard at some of these uh, short season leagues like Williamsport. Um, but, you know, teams want to do that, and uh, it's cost-cutting because you, you look at this shutdown, and it's facilitating a lot of the changes that MLB um, – has considered over the years, like the DH. They're going to probably have the DH when we get going in both leagues. I think we're going to probably see it in the new basic agreement. Uh, the shutdown just kind of expedites that. Um, these cost-cutting measures, uh, reducing the number of rounds in the draft, which, um, you know, there would have been pushback. Uh, there's probably not going to be as much pushback now because of, of the reality of this shutdown in the, in the virus. So if you can cut back the number of um, rounds in the drafts, in the draft, you're cutting back on the number of young players entering the game professionally. So if you have a smaller pool, you don't need as many teams. You don't need as many instructors. Um, down the road, you're not going to need as big a scouting staffs, which to me is very troubling uh, when you start eliminating jobs for instructors and scouts. Um, all of this, to me, points back to cost cutting and the Shutdown and health crisis has given MLB a very convenient excuse uh, or convenient reason to try to push some of those changes through. And personally, to me, when you look at the loss of jobs um, and maybe some of the loss of opportunity, uh, that's that's a bit troubling. The Phillies have drafted a lot of you know good players, players who went on to have solid big league careers after the fifth round. And I wrote about that at NBCSportsPhiladelphia.com. Suggest you go check it out, but just, you know, a quick couple names to rattle off the list. Darren Dalton, Ryan Sandberg, Bob Boone, Ken Giles, Ryan Madsen, amongst many, many others. So, you know, that's, that's about a thousand kids plus who are going to be affected by this. We could see more kids go the junior college route, re-enter the draft next year, but who knows if, you know, who knows if the opportunity is going to be greater next year. This is just so much unknown, but getting back to the designated hitter, you know, I'm not a DH guy, but it seems like an uh, inevitability that this is coming. And, the Phillies really are one of the teams that, if you look at the landscape of the National League, do appear well set up uh, to play a designated hitter. They have Jay Bruce. They have Alec Bohm. Uh, there are some other NL teams that could benefit as well. Do you think it's the kind of thing that could you know, change the trajectory of the Phillies season, change their decision-making process with Alec Bohm? How do you see that playing out? Uh, all of the above. Uh, if Jay Bruce comes out and has a monster year, uh, you know, that could help change the trajectory of the season. Uh, it could allow them to get uh, Roman Quinn and guy like Adam Hazley in the lineup at the same time, because maybe McCutcheon comes off his feet or doesn't play defense that day and, and still helps you offensively. Uh, maybe Bohm um, <coughs> gets, gets fast tracked a little bit. And if he looks like he can handle, handle it offensively, he can give you a lift. Uh, he can also play some first base. Hoskins can, can get, a, get a chance there. If you want to get um, uh, Real Muto off his feet a day, if you want to get Harper off his feet a day, th- there's a lot of ways they can, they can um, use the DH. And I think, it's, a, I think it's, a, it's, it's, um, uh, it's something that will help the Phillies. But I think it can help a lot of teams. I think there's a lot of teams in, in that, in that uh, situation that can find a bat to plug in there and find a way to use it as a, as a tool to get some guys uh, some rest. So, um, you know, I, I've long thought we're going to see the DH in the next um, CBA. Um, and I think that was part of the Phillies thinking with Bryce Harper and a lengthy contract that, you know, 13 years. 
he can eventually go and become a DH in his late thirties. Um, I'm not a DH guy either. I like the purity of, of seeing the pitch. I always respected a guy like Kurt Schilling who really worked hard on his bunting. Um, uh, to, so he could at least make an impact when he was, when he stepped in the batter's box and, and helped him stay in games longer. Cause sometimes if you need a, you can, you could actually hit for himself. Uh, I respect guys that pitchers that can handle the bat a little bit. Tom Glavin could, I mean, there's a lot of them. Um, but it sounds like it's a time that's, it's on its way that you know the DH is going to be here. I know the union wants it, and I think it's a it's a pretty uh, easy con- uh, concession for the for management to make to get something back in the next CBA. And and um, right now it's a practical matter. Um, you know, with less spring training, uh, it's one less thing pitchers have to do, and so it eliminates some risk of injury. Yeah, I mean, it eliminates the risk of a guy pulling a hammy, running out of, you know, running out of ground ball. Charlie Morton? Absolutely. You know, it cost him a season. Cost the Phillies potentially a really good pitcher for a couple – you know, if Charlie Morton had the season here that he had subsequently, he could have made a difference for the Phillies. The Phillies are much better set up this year than the past couple uh, with the DH because they actually put effort into improving the bench this past offseason. That kind of went by the wayside – a year ago as they had to wait so long to sign Bryce Harper and acquire JT Real Muto. But like you mentioned, Jim, there are several other teams that would benefit the, from this. It's not just the Phillies. Like I, I went through the league, um, the Braves, it would allow them to start all four of Ronald Acuna, Marcelo Zuna, Endurance Yarte, and Nick Marcakis. It gets Marcakis back into the lineup. The Mets, it could allow them to ease Yoenna Cespedes back in after missing most of the last two years to injury. For the Nationals, it opens up an everyday spot for Howie Kendrick, who is an awesome hitter, who just really doesn't have a spot in the field. The Dodgers with A.J. Pollock, the Brewers with Ryan Braun. It gives the Reds a place to hide Nick Castellanos, uh, the Padres with Will Myers. So there's a lot of teams that would benefit, although I do think the Phillies are toward the top of that, also because it gets them an extended look potentially at Alec Bohm. You know, if rosters are expanded going into 2020, that changes the timeline for someone like Alec Bohm, right? Maybe not necessarily Spencer Howard, but Alec Bohm. Yeah, I think it could Change the timeline on Alec Bohm. Um, we're talking, you know, framing it around the DH because his offense is ahead of his defense, right? So you might be able to benefit from his bat um, while, uh, you know, working on his defense before games, uh, things like that. So if they wanted to get some immediate impact from Alec Bohm, they might be able to get some from his bat. I don't know how he's going to get the defensive reps he needs because he does need them. We don't even know if there's going to be triple A. We don't know if minor leagues are going to be playing complex ball. Uh, to me, Alec Bohm needs to be a baseball player, offense and defense. But if everybody's stuck in limbo and he ends up on some 50-man roster that you can tab 28 guys per night and you tab him now and then, he might be able to help you with his bat, yes. Your NBC Sports Philadelphia podcasts are now on the My Teams app. You can listen to Phillies Talk, Eagle Eye, Sixers Talk, and Flyers Talk right now on the My Teams app. So we're starting a series this week at NBC Sports Philadelphia, uh, peeking into an alternate universe of Phillies baseball. And what we mean by that is that we're looking at some of the lesser known what ifs. Like we're not we're not looking at uh, the Ryan Sandberg trade or uh, the Greg Luzinski situation on defense in Black Friday 1977. We're looking at some of the more unheralded things that flew under the radar. And Jim, you began the series with a Cliff Lee uh, home run that he allowed in 2011, how it kind of uh, changed the way that awards voting went. And then it's going to continue Tuesday with Roy Campanella 
a Hall of Famer who has ties to this area. Run us through those two. Let's start with Campanella. Well, Corey, he's got more than ties to the Philadelphia area. He was a native Philadelphian, you know, raised in North Philly, nice section, uh, nice town section of town of the city. Uh, used to watch games from the rooftops at Shad Park. Um, you know, local Sandlot legend, Simon Gratz High School. You can get more, any more Philly than that. Huh. Um, you know, he was one of the greatest catchers of all time. Um, and he did not get an opportunity in the big leagues until he was like 26 years old because um, of his African-American heritage. Um, signed with the Dodgers, same team as Jackie Robinson. Actually, I think signed the same year Jackie Robinson signed and played in the minors, eventually came to the big leagues. And uh, won three National League MVPs, you know, hit uh, 30 home runs or four times and 42 home runs one year, led the league in RBIs one year. He was the best catcher in baseball. I mean, three MVPs, played in five World Series, uh, is in the Hall of Fame. And so he's a North Philly kid. And you know what? He's playing in the Negro Leagues in Baltimore, and all he wanted to be was a Philly. He used to go watch BP, batting practice, Philly State batting practice, Chad Park. And um, I actually read his autobiography many, many years ago. I read his autobiography, and he would he was sit in the stands one day watching BP at Chad Park, and he asked the manager, said, you know, you guys, I could, I could really help you behind the plate. And the manager, to his credit, said, uh, you know, Campy, you know we love you. We'd love to have you. But you know this uh, agreement, this um, the rules here that are just so terrible and um, he suggested he called upstairs to the GM and he called up to the GM and the GM said the same thing. Um, we'd love to have you. Um, and, you know, push came to shove. Jackie Robinson comes along, Branch Rickey comes along and uh, they end that foolish um, discrimination and um, Robinson signs with the Dodgers and oh yeah, Roy Campanella signs with the Dodgers and comes an MVP and a hall of famer. And all he wanted to be was a Philly. So, in an alternate universe, he gets his tryout with the Philly and he, with the Phillies and plays for his hometown team. In an alternate universe, um, there was no such thing as the color barrier in baseball. It was just a sad, sad time. And, um, but, you know, Roy Campanella is a guy that has always intrigued me because he's such a great player. Um, I always look at his plaques in Dodger Stadium, and I always think he could have been a Philly, and it's kind of the whole – situation is is, is um, especially the way I read it in his autobiography when he's sitting there watching batting practice dreaming of playing the Phillies and, and can't get an opportunity the whole situation to me is heartbreaking so um, he's going to be you know one of our guys in the in an alternate universe right Campanella's a Philly and we started it off with one bad pitch by Cliff Lee might have cost him in the 2011 Cy Young so who knows you know Jim I think this is going to be kind of a learning experience for a lot of Phillies fans uh, who were younger, you know, uh, Roy Campanella, I'm going to be honest, I did not realize that the guy had such strong Philly roots. And I knew he was a Hall of Famer. I mean, I remember going to the Hall of Fame when I was 10 years old and walking around with the room with the big busts and my dad educating me on a lot of different players. And one of them was Roy Campanella. Um, just imagine like slotting his bat into those Phillies teams of the early 50s alongside Richie Ashburn and Del Richie. Ennis. I mean, you look at some of the seasons Campanella had. How about 1953? He had 312 with 41 homers and 142 RBIs while playing every day behind the plate. I mean, that's like unheard of these days. 
Yeah, he only uh, played 10 years because he got to the big leagues late at age 26. He was playing pro ball at age 15 for the uh, the Baltimore Elite Giants, or the Elite Giants, I think they used to call them. At age 15, he's playing pro ball. So he plays 10 years in the Negro Leagues before he even comes to the big leagues. He only plays in the majors 10 years, makes the all-star team eight times. So, um, you know, I, I too was introduced to him by my dad. who my When I was a kid, my dad um, I had to do a book report. I think it was in fourth grade. And my dad um, – employed uh, some uh, child psychology because <laughs> if he said you should do a book report on Jackie Robinson I wouldn't have done it but you know he waits like a day or two and starts telling me the story of Jackie Robinson and, and he, my dad saw him hit a triple once in Abbott's Field and how exciting wow. it was and, and then all of a sudden I'm like wow oh, my dad, oh you should go to the library and get a book about you read about him and I think I'm gonna do my book report about him so <laughs> I remember doing a book report about Jackie Robinson all based on hearing the story of my dad seeing him hit a, hit a triple and in um in uh Abbott's field so you know and hearing about Roy Campanella and uh just thinking that all he wanted to, to be was a Philly and um geez it was just it's just really sad that it just it, that things were the way you know the way they were um I have my my today I have my uh my my Baltimore uh Black Sox shirt on and a year ago at this time I visited the Negro League Museum in Kansas City we were there with the Phillies and um you know I went with a handful of Phillies when Andrew McCutcheon was there and he was really gracious and it was his first visit um he had always wanted to go to the Negro League Museum uh but he was always in the National League and they don't go to Kansas City much and there was never an off day so finally it was an off day so he went over there and you know kind of walking through that with him and a few other Phillies and kind of you know and then I got to write the story and kind of tell it through Andrew McCutcheon's eyes and it was really really special so um, you know, I'm, I'm really happy to be able to write a little bit about Roy Campanella. Even I used to talk to Roy Cam, uh, to Johnny Padres about Roy Campanella. I mean, he was his catcher in the 55 World Series. He's one of the boys of summer, if you ever read that book. So really, um, if you're going to do an under-the-radar alternate universe uh, what-if type of thing with the Phillies, boy, what if Roy Campanella was a Philly? Wow. Yeah, that's that was a good. It's going to be a good read, Jim. I also recommend that if you haven't read Jim's piece from the Negro Leagues uh, last year with a couple of Phillies, checking that out. If you Google NBC Sports Philadelphia Andrew McCutcheon Negro Leagues, it's one of the first results there. Um, so I don't want to give away too much of what else we have planned for this week. Just know that it involves several different eras of Phillies baseball. For one of them, we're going back a hundred years, uh, and for a couple of the others, we're only going back a decade. <laughs> yeah, 100 years. Uh, tough finding interview subject on, on that one, but we we'll <laughs> do your best. We'll do our best. <laughs> All right, that's going to do it for this edition of Philly's Talk. He's Jim Salisbury. I'm Corey Seidman, and we'll talk to you later in the week, hopefully, with some good news for Major League Baseball. Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on Carol. She's more focused on hitting a high note than the car in front of her. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California. Subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates North Park, Illinois.